This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford and I'm so glad to have you here. You may be someone who's listened to Self-Work for quite a while. You may be a new listener. I welcome everyone. You know, I wasn't feeling so hot yesterday, so I took a timeout day and watched Shrinking, the Apple TV series that has a superb cast and follows the lives of three therapists and their friends and families. Now, it's full of expletives, kind of like last week's episode, especially the F-bomb, which is fine by me, but there wasn't one person in the cast who didn't explore its complete usage. However, the show is also very moving, and I was relieved to see that except for some entertaining but weirdly unethical behavior, the therapists are painted as caring and trying hard to help, but also having huge struggles in their own lives. I get it. There have been times when my struggles have been larger than others, certainly, not other people, but just other times, and yet it's still my job to be there for my clients no matter what I'm going through, the way they've come to expect me being there because I'm a shrink. So I thought today we would talk about those expectations, at least the basic ones, and what they are. Now, there are scads of different therapeutic approaches in schools, but we'll leave that for another episode. But I'm really focusing on basic stuff here, the stuff that's both behind the scene and front and center. But they certainly are the building blocks of trust and safety in therapy. I've also published an episode on creating emotional safety in therapy, and that link will be in your show notes. But today, we're focusing on basics. The listener email today is from a listener in Bermuda who's tried several therapists but not found one that has really helped her. She needs to do what she calls manage her depression as it's recurrent. And did I know any international treatment options? I'll do my best to answer her. I've done several episodes on emotional regulation or managing emotions, so I'd start by having her search for that. Now, before we go on, let's hear from BetterHelp, rated the best online therapy service there is. Online therapy has its drawbacks, but it also has many, many pluses. And maybe headed into this school year, you're about ready to say, you know, it's time for me to do a little of my own self-work. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. Better help the number one online therapy provider, makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. 
Yesterday, I woke up in a bad mood. I'm usually quite cheerful in the morning, a trait others might love or might need me to tone down a bit, depending on their own morning ritual. But yesterday, several things cropped up. We'd eaten at a place that we hadn't been to in a long time for dinner the night before, and my stomach didn't particularly care for what it had been offered. And my gut is usually like iron, so I don't have many skills for handling that discomfort very well. Headaches, I got down. Stomach aches, eh, not so much. And I was tired. I'd been going pretty strong for several weeks with no break. And like every other time I do that, guess what? The same thing happens. Overwork and overbusy brings a bad mood and fatigue. And then a little feeling of self-pity or entitlement can happen where I can decide to act less nicely to my spouse just because I'm in a bad mood. That choice only makes my mood worse, however, because I can see what I'm doing, giving myself permission to just be a jerk. When the little part of me that's watching what's going on is saying, what in the hell are you doing and why did you talk to him like that? But I rode in sullen silence to our usual Saturday breakfast diner, which might have been actually a relief for my husband. But when we got there, they put in new lighting that was flickering every few seconds, a glitch that needed fixing, and as I was already feeling kind of yuck, Then I felt like I might be thrown back into vertigo, which I'd experienced for the first time and hopefully last time a few months back. (laughs) So I literally was staring down at the table, trying to decide what I could eat, trying to be nice to the restaurant, when all of a sudden my husband made me laugh, making fun of the wealth of physical complaints (laughs) expressed by the two of us since rising. Thank God for laughter. It didn't help my stomach, but my bad mood lifted almost instantly. Not that that happens every time. Sometimes, like everyone else, I can hold on to worry or feeling sorry for myself, whatever's constituting my quote-unquote mood, until I get to the office and I become your therapist. My mood needs to change, and it's my job to know how to do that, to get out of my head or my stomach as much as possible and tune into you. Not that where I am isn't going to affect that, but I need to try as much as possible to take my little bruised ego and put it on the shelf until I have the time and space to look at what might be causing it. And that time is after I've been at the office for the day, after I've seen you. Interestingly, what I've noticed is that when this happens, or when I'm actually sad about something in my personal life, I tend to focus differently, maybe better in some way, because I'm coming from a quieter place, or at least that's what I've wondered. So when I also finished watching the first season of Shrinking yesterday, I had to stop and consider, once again, how others may see their therapists, what they expect on both an intangible, but also a very tangible, pragmatic level. The series is filled to the brim with F this and F that, and there's a lot of sex being had, drugs being taken, and sarcasm being passed out. But all in all, the therapist or portrayed is really caring and wanting to help. Not since 1991's What About Bob, which if you haven't seen it and you're in therapy, you definitely should see, has there been more dual or triple relationships between therapist and patient. But back to how you see your therapist. I, for one, was always curious about mine. In fact, I was relieved when one very helpful but more soft-spoken therapist told me she'd thrown a plate at her husband when she got mad one time. She did this after hearing for the hundredth time me shaming myself for the way I'd acted when I was angry. It's not that my choices didn't need to change, but her joining me in living with regret was helpful. 
Now we're going to turn to talking about these basic intangibles and tangibles in the therapeutic process, these expectations. Actually, I took a lot of this from my very first self-work episode, believe it or not, six years or no, almost seven years ago, the one I created for my class where I was taking lessons in how to be a podcast host, and I was so very nervous. So I used the ebook that I'd already created for subscribers to my website as my structure. Now, it was kind of funny. When I pulled out that book today to see if I could use any of the material, I realized that most of it is still very good and hits the basics. What I need to add to that today is much more about online therapy, like BetterHelp, and changes in HIPAA due to that. That's the Health Information Patient Accountability Act, HIPAA. Also, the rise of life coaches is something that's different, a career that's been around quite a while, but within the last five or more years has exponentially grown. So let's turn first to the intangibles that you can expect from being in therapy. These are things that aren't paper and pencil or something, you know, that's very concrete, but they are still expectations that you should have. There are seven of them. You can expect a strong therapeutic alliance. You want to feel that the two of you are working together well. Now, what does this mean? One of my Facebook group members commented when I asked them about their thoughts about this post and what they might want to add. She said the power differential was difficult for her, meaning that her life was the focus of the relationship as well as she was the one being vulnerable. And that was one of the most difficult things for her. To me, this may mean that her therapeutic alliance with her therapist isn't quite strong enough. She may want a more collaborative kind of therapy, one where there's a little more ease, even though, again, the work is hers to do. But you want to feel as if your therapist understands you and is working toward helping you in the way you understand and want. So that's what I mean by a strong therapeutic alliance. They get you. And you like the way they get you and you're beginning to look forward to their perspective. That's a strong alliance. Number two, you want to know and you can expect to know how you're moving toward positive change. You want to be able to say how you're getting better in a tangible way. I can't tell you the amount of people who said, yeah, I was in therapy for like six months, but I don't think I made much progress. You want to feel if you're doing the work. And you want to be able to identify how you're moving toward positive change. Now, this may be harder with some therapeutic approaches than others. And honestly, probably this reflects my own bias toward a more collaborative approach. So I've got to admit that. I think a more collaborative approach fits our lifestyles today with both of you knowing what you're aiming for, the changes that when they happen, you'll both be able to know you've done the work. That's pretty vital to me. That doesn't mean that the change itself couldn't be in the emotional or mental realm. But knowing you got there and how you got there is important. For example, if I have a couple come in and I say, well, how did it go this week? They say, well, I don't know. It was just better. Well, what did you do differently? Nothing. What did you do differently? Nothing. The thing I'm concerned about about that is people need to know And identify, was I nicer? Was I kinder? Was I less critical? Did I listen more deeply? What did I do to affect the change that we were, quote unquote, doing better? You want to know how you're getting better in a tangible way where you can write it down and know when I do X, Y happens, or at least is more likely to happen. 
Number three, have a therapist that is attentive in session. Believe it or not, I've heard stories of therapists going to sleep or forgetting major things that you've told them. This is a pragmatic thing, but it has huge relational components. If you feel I'm really listening to you, really seeing you, and helping you see yourself, then that's how trust is built. Number four, believe your therapist knows what they're doing and you know their basic treatment strategy. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let's say for the first four to six sessions, I tell you we're going to start connecting your past with your present, because after hearing you tell your story in the first session, I think there would be some helpful connections to make due to how you're reacting in the present. Maybe things are making you so sad you can't stand it, or way too mad. Maybe if you understand how you're getting triggered, then you can have more control over those emotions, and you agree to that plan. But in the third session, I say... I think we need to start couples work. That's never been mentioned. I just decided. You can see how that might be unsettling. Now, if I had a really good reason to change course, okay, and I talked to you about it. But out of the blue, when you believed, okay, we're going to spend the first, say, four to five sessions doing this, and then all of a sudden I change techniques on you, then that can be kind of jarring. Again, unless we talk about making that shift. Number five, this is so important, expect reasonable business practices. I've had people tell me that they don't get a bill from their therapist until the second or third month they're in. Maybe they didn't even know how much it was going to cost and it surprised them. Now, the fact is that what can make someone a good therapist may not be what helps them to be a good business person. But if not, that's not your responsibility. You need to understand the business aspect of your relationship with your therapist, and that needs to be solid and secure and predictable. Six and seven are fairly integrated. They're about the therapist gaining your trust with your information, not only written information, but you knowing and trusting that confidentiality is being highly respected and that their business is operating in a way that their staff only has limited access to your information. Also vital is that your personal, physical, and sexual boundaries are being respected as well. There is absolutely no reason that a therapist should engage in any kind of physical touching without your express consent or your request. I mean, I have patients sometimes say, may I have a hug? Of course. Obviously, if my patient suggested something sexual, then I need to establish a boundary right then and there, and that would become a therapeutic focus because there's probably an underlying problem there that's evident now in the relationship. I've actually had people tell me that they'd been in their therapist's office where they had a general waiting room for everyone, and they could hear staff even saying names of particular patients. Have you gotten to so-and-so's chart yet? And that's just unethical as all get out. So you want confidentiality and boundaries to be respected. So those are the intangibles. Now, what are the pragmatics? We'll hear those right after this message from AG1. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system support. I take it in the morning before starting my day and I make sure and leave it out for my husband because he tends to forget. I love knowing that I'm starting my day so incredibly well, and I wouldn't change a thing because it's really helped me the last two or three years I've taken it. And here's a fact. 
Since 2010, they've improved their formula 52 times in the pursuit of making this nutrition supplement possible and the best it can be. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash selfwork. And that's a new link, drinkag1.com slash selfwork. Check it out. So here's the quick and dirty list of what you can and should expect pragmatically from a therapist. Number one, you should sign a well-written statement concerning your consent to treatment as well as a confidentiality agreement. That agreement should include information on what the therapist charges and what occurs if you miss an appointment without calling within an appropriate amount of time. Some people will be surprised that their therapist, if they miss a session, won't continue seeing them. But many more just say, give me 24 hours notice unless you wake up with the flu and I don't want you to come. Okay? Number two, HIPAA documents should be made available to you. Or you can be given a form to sign that states that you have seen the document. Online therapy has its own HIPAA requirements, and you can ask questions about how confidentiality is being kept when and if online therapy is occurring. For example, if they're using Zoom or some other kind of online platform, it should be what's called encrypted, so you can ask. Here's number three. You should know about how insurance or payment is being handled. Many therapists do not file insurance at all. Some do. You should know whether or not your insurance is through managed care or not, which can limit numbers of sessions. That's not as much of a problem as it used to be. But if it is managed, that means your therapist may not be free to make all clinical judgments and your treatment might be modified by your insurance company. This information is also available through your insurance company, but you should be clear before therapy ever starts. Here's number four. There's a huge variety about the way therapists deal with financial matters. Some will reduce their fee if you need to. Some will not. And you can ask questions about these topics as you are contacting mental health professionals or a potential therapist, and certainly in an initial session. Bills should come regularly and as stated initially and costs should not change unless you're notified well ahead of time. In family work, confidentiality is also important. And a lot of times when I'm treating a teenager, when I used to, I would have to make sure the parent understood that what the teenager talked to me, unless it was something that really was very, very serious, that I was going to keep that confidential. So the boundaries of that confidentiality should be understood by all. Number six, your therapist should be very clear with you about whether or not they provide emergency or after-hours coverage. Many therapists do not do this anymore. Some do, but many do not. You need to know that going into the relationship, and you and your provider need to have a plan on what you should do in case of an emergency. So let's talk for a second about different mental health degrees that allow people to practice as therapists. The training is very different between them. Psychiatrists are medical doctors. They prescribe and rarely, but sometimes, offer therapy. The rest are psychologists, social workers, licensed professional counselors, marriage and family therapists. And there are even more designations. But you need to educate yourself about the training in the different professions so that you can choose well for your particular condition. 
feel free to ask how much experience they have, your therapist has, in working with patients with your particular issue. And you can ask, well, what techniques do you use to help me get better? The profession of life coaching has greatly increased, but it should be made clear that a life coach is not a licensed mental health professional. It is my understanding that there are life coach certifications you can obtain by going through courses offered by life coaching platforms, but please realize the two professions are very different. That doesn't mean better or less than. It means different. I've referred a few patients to qualified life coaches I know, and it can be very helpful as they help the patient deal more with pragmatic things. So the last one, if you do not feel you're improving, look elsewhere. So many people said, well, I think almost my therapist needed to see me or I was afraid of disappointing them. And it's not your job to take care of your therapist. Frequently, family physicians, pastors, or gynecologists have a referral list for mental health professionals because you want to remember the fit is extremely important. Those are the expectations that at least I know that you should have from the very beginning. So good luck. Here's our listener email for the week. Hello and good afternoon, Dr. Rutherford. Hope you are well. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and listen to it regularly on my walks. I've gained a lot from it, but was also interested in one-on-one therapy. I am based in Bermuda and understand from your website that you wouldn't be able to help with potential clients who aren't in the United States. I just wanted to get in touch to ask if there is anyone globally that you would recommend that can provide therapy remotely. I've tried various therapists all over the world and none have seemed to work for me. I've suffered from recurring depression since a young age, but instead of accepting that and living with it, I would love to finally learn how to manage it. I'm grateful for any guidance or recommendation you're able to share. So I write back and say, thank you so much for being a listener. I wish I could help with a one-on-one part of what you're seeking, but I really don't know those things. Maybe a way I can help is to write a podcast episode about what managing depression actually means. I'd like to research that a bit myself, but I'm sure you're not the only person who doesn't exactly know what that might look like. To me, it means asking yourself, what's happening or what are you doing or experiencing when you don't feel depressed? And try to add those things or those kinds of things more into your life. And then when you do feel more depressed, what do you do when you're in it to help you get out? Another point is that managing depression, especially recurrent depression, is also managing triggers, knowing what may cause a flare-up of emotions that can easily cycle into depression, and either avoiding those triggers if you can, or at the least, being aware of what they are. The most obvious example I can think of right now, I had a couple whose, let's say the wife had had an affair when she was on several business trips out of town. They worked really hard together and things were going well, but then the wife went back out of town without the two of them establishing any safety or trust plan, and they didn't talk about it with me either. I didn't know she was going out of town. So guess what? Something happened. They lost their bond. They lost their sense of communication, and all hell broke loose. Trust was lost again. Perhaps not due to really any distrustful behavior, but because the couple hadn't planned on how to stay in touch in order to avoid a problem. I call that walking into a minefield, because you know it's a minefield, but you think you can do that unscathed. So being aware, even listing what is likely to trigger me, can be very, very helpful. 
Again, I'll think about doing a podcast on managing depression because I think it's an excellent topic and one that I could probably talk a lot more about. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you all so much for being here today. And for those of you who've listened to my TED Talk, I've gotten several comments on how you've always listened to the podcast and you really appreciate getting to quote unquote see me. And I've loved those comments as well. Thank you so, so much. I'll have the link to my TED Talk right here in the show notes for those of you who might not have listened yet. As I record this, we are headed up into 40,000 views and I am blown away by that. Really want to get this message out, as all of you know how important it is to me to get the message out about perfectly hidden depression and its dangers. Of course, you can buy the book in paperback, ebook, or audiobook, and that's available wherever you buy books. You can also go to drmargaretrutherford.com. Hey, my website is new. We're still improving it, actually, and I'm real proud. I'd love to be a speaker if any of you would like to ask me to speak to your organization or your group or whatever it is. I'd love to be there on various topics, not necessarily on perfectly hidden depression. I've done talks on just depression in general. I've done talks on aging. I've done talks on perfectionism, a whole lot of things. Just email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com or again, go to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and you can always subscribe. Thank you so much for being here again. Please take very good care of yourself, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.